Good morning and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, August 16th, 2015. My name is Leah and I'm your moderator this morning. The share ID for Friday, August 14th is 7925. That's 7925. This morning, A Vision for You presents Chapter 9, The Family Afterward. It's often said, nothing in life gives us more joy than relationships, and nothing in life challenges us more than relationships. Relationships are our ultimate challenge for the same reason that they're our ultimate joy. Relationships are about growing, changing, expanding, and giving. They're about showing unselfishness and love. This process, when sincerely engaged in, challenges every fiber of our being. No role can catalyze inner growth more than the roles of spouse, parent, child, or friend. When we were in our disease of compulsive overeating, we created circumstances due to our selfishness and self-centeredness which wrought all kinds of damage. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. This wreckage that may take time to repair requires patience. Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. The family afterward describes the many challenges and readjustments facing the family of the recovered alcoholic and compulsive overeater. There are new skills of communication and compromise to develop and new attitudes to practice. The big book stresses the importance of living by spiritual principles such as tolerance, understanding, and love as a means of restoring trust and integrity with family members. Joining us this morning are seven recovered compulsive overeaters who will bring Chapter 9, The Family Afterward, to life through their own personal experience and fascinating insights. Our panelists this morning include Devorah S. from New Jersey, Charles H. from New York, Kathy K. from Massachusetts, Katie F. from Virginia, Deb W. Oklahoma, Sharon R. S. from Minnesota, and Janice M. from Massachusetts. Thank you all for your participation this morning. And let's begin Chapter 9, The Family Afterwards, page 122, with our first panelist, Devorah S. Thank you, Devorah. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Devorah S. in New Jersey, recovered. Thank you, God. Really grateful I could speak today. The Family Afterward, I just want to read um, the first few sentences in the big book on pay, on the, this chapter. Our women folk have suggested certain attitudes a wife may take with the husband who is recovering. Perhaps they created the impression that he is to be wrapped in cotton wool and placed on a pedestal. Successful readjustment means the opposite. All members of the family should meet upon the common ground of tolerance, understanding, and love. This involves a process of deflation. Okay, so I'm just going to stop there. Um, 
you know, the previous champ that was talking about that perhaps I needed to be treated very gingerly because, after all, I'm a recovering from a very complex disease, that I need to be wrapped in cotton and put on a high shelf and be treated with kid gloves. You know, that is very warped thinking. Um, I thought that everyone had to, um, you know, rally around my needs and my my stuff, you know, after, you know, after all, look where I'm coming from. Um, but that's not the way of program. The way of program is I, I needed to smash my ego, get out of myself, and um, not think of me, but of others, you know. And just like I'm, learning, I'm here in the sentence where it says, you know, that we have to lay the, the, we have to be on the common ground of tolerance, understanding, and love. I didn't know what that meant. I was stepping on toes and retaliating, and people were retaliating around me, um, and I was not, and, and I wanted that they should behave the way I wanted them to behave. You know, yes, I, I made sure that they had their needs. My children had clean clothing. They had food to eat, but I wanted them to act the way that I wanted them to act. And I remember many times saying to them, you know, do you think that Mrs. H, who lives over there on the next couple of blocks, her house looks like this or her children behave like this? I was constantly comparing my children, them, with others or my family life with others because I had such fear of being found out. See, people are going to look at me like on the outside, I might have looked presentable, even though I was 150 pounds overweight, but you know, I wanted people to think that I held it together, you know, but it was very fragile. It wasn't super glue. It was very, very fragile. So on the outside, it might have been that my family was looking good, but in the inside, they didn't know that I, you know, escaped to my room with the covers over my head because I didn't want to deal with life. Life was very, very difficult. I didn't want to have to deal, so I escaped, and I and I let things just happen. Um, and that was very selfish of me and very thinking that, that that's what I needed. Um, it was very sick and warped behavior. But, you know, when I got recovered and I saw that God was giving me, you know, treating me with tolerance, understanding, and love throughout the day, no matter what. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on in God's world, you know, a lot of stuff. It's a big world out there. But yet God was showing up to me on a daily basis and treating me with a lot of patience, understanding, and love. And I realized that that's what I needed to imbue to my children. So when, you know, you know, backtracking a little bit. My my family didn't know. They walked around me in eggshells. They didn't know, you know, at 9 o'clock in the morning, I could have been fun and happy and easygoing and patient and loving and, oh, this is great. Life is beautiful. But they didn't know maybe in two or three hours what, what my temperature, my emotional temperature was going to be. So everybody walked around with eggshells on, thinking around me like, oh, what's, what's my behavior going to be like? What my mood is going to be in? And I needed to incorporate, you know, these facets, these principles all the time. Just like God doesn't take a vacation with me, I need to imbue this in my family all the time, the same tolerance, understanding, and love, so that, that my, my emotional temperature is even keeled throughout the day. 
going back now, going down now to the last um, two sentences of that paragraph, we find the more one member of the family demands that the other concede to him, the more resentful they become. This makes for discord and unhappiness. So again, here I am. I'm in program. I lost 150 pounds. I mean, I'm it, right? I know how everybody should eat. I know how everybody should think. I know what's best for everybody. You know, I'm that actor um, rearranging and arranging everybody's um, life for them. So I wanted my husband very much to get into program. He was extremely overweight. He had a heart condition. Um, and I knew what was best for him. So I would... You know, leave a meeting on, you know, if I was on the telephone, let him listen to a meeting as I'm listening to a meeting. I would bring him to meetings with me. I introduced him to various men in program that I thought would have a good effect on my husband. Like I, I just knew everything what my husband needed to do. Um, and, and I spoke to people as well, crying to people, like, if only, if only, if only. And recovered people in program finally said to me, Devora, you need to shut your mouth. Just keep quiet. You don't know what's good for anyone. Just keep quiet, and what you need to do is recover, recover, recover. You need to get yourself um, recovered and just pray for him like a sick person. Um, and that's what I did. I stopped, I st and I just concentrated on my program and uh, believe me, there was a plenty to concentrate in my program. And, you know, I have to say, you know, there was a lot of stuff being changes in here, you know. And we'll see in the next paragraph where it says cessation of drinking is but the first step away from a highly strained abnormal condition. You know, I had to put down the food. And with putting down the food came, you know, came, you know, getting a sponsor, going to meetings, um, getting phone calls. I mean, my life was very, very busy now. It was a totally different thing. I was kept very, very busy with um, this change, all these changes in my life. And on top of that, I was trying to change, you know, this change, my psychic change. I wanted to change my way of thinking. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on in my, program, in, in my life that I needed to just concentrate on me and not on fixing on other people. And that's what I did. In order for me to, you know, it talks about in order to how does other people change, you know, they see changes in me. They see changes in, in other people, and that's what they want. So they come into program. And so I, I, I changed, and I guess my husband saw that there was something there to it. And he got into program, and he, you know, is in program as well. So, and that's all because I kept quiet, and I, I was not trying to arrange his life. Um... You know, I have to say that, you know, in, um, you know, on page 52, it talks about the bedevilments of, um, in this program that we were having. Let me just turn to that page. Just give me one minute. It says, we had to ask ourselves why we couldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having problems with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of usefulness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be a really help to other people. It was not a basic solution of these developments. More important than we should see newsreels of lunar off. Right? Of course it was. So I couldn't see these things in myself. I had no idea that these were things. I, was, I had no idea that I was a prey to misery and depression. All I knew was that I was trying to fix the people around me. 
And um, when I stopped doing that, when I started, when I came into this program and 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 learned what I needed to do, when I learned this book as it's laid out, the people around me um, saw miracles, and they saw change, and they saw that I became a person of um, of dignity, integrity, and assurance. I became the person, the woman that God wanted me to be. Um, and I started practicing the principles of love, tolerance, and patience. Um, I was no longer rearranging their lives. I was no longer comparing my life to other lives. I was no longer comparing um, my life to that Mrs. H who lived in my neighborhood thinking that she had it and I didn't. You know, I was becoming grateful for the life I had and looking at the gratitudes of my children and my husband and realizing that that I had everything within me, but I just had to dig it out from 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 deep down in me. Um, and um, that 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 is the miracle today. Um, so, you know, when I you know. Page 57, it says, when we draw near to him, he discloses himself to us. And that's what happened. You know, I looked for that spiritual um, awakening. I did the work, um, and I continue to do so, and God, st- and God continues to show up for me. Um, I, just want, I would like to continue now to uh, the last paragraph where it says, on page 123, it says, now and then the family will be plagued by specters from the past, for the drinking career of almost every alcoholic has been blocked by escapades, funny, humiliating, shameful, or tragic. The first impulse will be to bury those skeletons in a dark closet and padlock the door. The family may be possessed by the, f- may be possessed by the idea that future happiness can be based only upon forgetfulness of the past. We think that such a view is self-centered and in direct conflict with the new way of living. And I have to say, for me, I can't live like that. I have to remember where I came from. You know, that's the greatest asset of my program, knowing where I came from and knowing who I am today. I can't forget the past... Um, just like the promises says, um, I need to live in the future, you know, for today, but also I have to remember why I came into this program so that I can help another person and give to them that was so freely given to me, you know, the tools of this program, the life of the, the skills that I've learned in this program, um, and so I, and I can share my experiences with other people um, because I don't forget them. Um, and um, just really grateful um, to be able to have this experience today and not to live in that muck of the disease um, because it really brought down everyone around me. Um, And today I have another opportunity, grateful that I have another opportunity um, to, to live in God's world and to um, be the person that God is seeking for me to be. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Devorah S. Charles H. will now develop pages 124 and 125. Thank you. Thank you, Leah, for your service. Charles H., can I be heard? Yes. 
Uh, thank you. Um, Charles H. Recovered Visionary, good morning to everyone. And, uh, you know, I'm so humbled and honored um, to have been asked to do service. So if I may borrow um, a line from page 123 so I could jump off what, uh, my assignment this morning. So the bottom of 123 says the family may be possessed by the idea that future happiness can be based only upon forgetfulness of the past. We think such a view is self-centered and in direct conflict with the new way of living. <clears throat> and I so identify in with that. I didn't come to Overeaters Anonymous so I could um, make living amends. <laughs> I didn't. I, I came here <clears throat> um, <laughs> from the doctor's opinion. My doctor, my diabetic doctor said, you, maybe you should try OA. So I thank God. God came in, in the form of my doctor. Um, but um, the family afterwards, right? The family after what? <laughs> the family after being recovered. The family, you know, it's a long road ahead. We hear that all through the big book. I don't, I don't know about you, but I hear that. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I remember um, I remember the chapter into action um, when it says, you know, um, yeah, I, I was a tornado in everybody's lives, including my, especially my family, right? And just because I stopped binging, my self-centered self talking about everything is so, yeah, no, nothing, I don't know what he, I'm paraphrasing, everything is good over here, Ma. How self-centered I was. How self-centered I was. You know, um, we grow by our willingness to face and rectify errors and convert them into assets. You know, through the blood, I, I'm not the miracle. Through the blood, through the power, through the connection, not your Wi-Fi, my own connection, my source, my, my, my God, as I understand him, because I don't understand him, I just stand under him. Um, <laughs> I'm a miracle. Through the, I, I, I'm a miracle. Through the blood, not through me, right? And, you know, I could identify with this, my, my, my grandson. I'm a young grandfather. It don't matter if I'm old, but I'm a young grandfather. And, you know, um, I call him Little Wayne. Um, I remember, yeah, I was addicted to crack. I'm not scared to tell you that because my darkest possession is my deepest possession. I was addicted to crack. Every, every $20 bill burnt a hole in my pocket. Today they call me a Jamaican Jew. <laughs> That's a miracle. That's a psychic change. And I remember about those two characters in the doctor's opinion. One guy uh, accepted the plan outlined in this book. The other guy that was in the barn became sold, and nothing but good things happened. So the family afterwards, I got to remember the family before recovery, the family before recovery, infidelity. Um, self-centeredness, greed, lust, all those things, all those things riddled me. And it, they were all selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Because for me, every character defect fell under that, right? And, you know, I owe them more than abstinence. I owe them more than abstinence. I owe them more. I owe my community. I owe you guys because you guys are my family as well. My wife, 
it says somewhere in, um, in, in the book, yeah, I think into action, that we pick the finest women and we run them through the mill. I know I, my, my wife is strong. She's stronger than me. I ran her through the mill. I argued with my kids. I didn't, I, I didn't love myself. So I owed them more than just being abstinent. You know, it was so funny. We went out yesterday. You know, we had a family day, and, uh, you know, we went shopping. We went to Bath and Body Works. I like stuff like that. You know why I like to go to Bath and Body Works, right? Not just because I want to smell good, because I want to feel good. I want to meditate. And they got some I, – I, I'm not trying to um, advertise for them. This ain't what this is about. But, you know, we had a great day. We had a great day together, <clears throat> you know, spending family time. I need, I, I, I owe them that because the disease cut that short. I was so self-centered before with the family before. But the family afterwards, you know, when I try to rectify every day is, is a day that I try to rectify my errors and convert them into assets because my family deserves that. You know, I, you know, I don't even, you know, I, I call my family my pride. We're pride of lions, you know, and, um, yeah, we have strong personalities. And, and just like it says in here, we all want, you know, they all want that dad to swing their way. And, and, and I deserve that. They deserve that because I was so self-centered. I, I took so much from them. I took a lot of years from them. And and you know, and and justifiably so, they was they were resentful. And I see you. I couldn't see that vision before doing the work. I couldn't see that vision. You know, I didn't want to sponsor nobody. I didn't want to. Do, I just wanted to. You know, just do me. But you know, ain't nobody could do me like how God do me. So you know what? That's why, like, it's a pleasure. You know, you know, some people don't even have their family. You know, I thank God for my, I cherish my family. I really do. But I didn't show that before. I was so self-willed. So let me get back to the, the text here. Showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. Cling to the thought that in God's hand, the darkest past, the greatest possession you have, the key to life and the happiness for others. With it, you will avert death and misery for them. Wow. Yeah. Our experience, right? You know, not our opinion. Kim G said that so beautifully the other day. Um, so if we know someone else that's going through it in an unselfish way, we can show them. We who have been through hell. You know, that they got this movie that just came uh, out, straight out of Compton. Well, I'm straight out of hell. You know, you know, God took me from the scrap heap of hell, which is myself which is fear, self-imposed prison. So if I have an, an opportunity to, to share with another that's going through the same thing through fellowship, through those 2% OA means, and I'm not knocking them, it is what it is, right? If you think I'm lying, check forward to the second edition and the stats don't lie. So through those, through those avenues, um, through, through everywhere, you know, everywhere I go, I can share with them that. And, you know, and it's from experience. You know, I wasn't a very nice person, you know, 
with the family before. And when I say the family, I'm talking about the world before. The world before, I was not a nice person. I didn't have a spiritual experience. I had a self-willed experience, right? Um, so it's not that I bring up the past. You know, I don't go to my wife and say, you know, my wife, you know, I was cheating. I don't keep bringing that up because that's painful. But, you know, today, you know, my wife trusts me, right? She trusts me through the work that I do. This work is continuous because if I get a bright idea, I can go right back to that self-righteous crackhead Charles Harris again. I mean, Charles A., excuse me, I'm sorry. But I get emotional when I talk about this because i got to remember where I was to know where I'm going and to know where I'm at today. I don't talk about weight on here. You know why? Because we carry a message of depth and weight. If I just talk about weight, all i got is a fat head, you know, and that ain't cool. You know, that's not attractive to the family. Yes, the family wants their way, right? And I want to give them their way because they deserve it. Because, you know, um, <clears throat> for all those years I was pulling that Burger King, have it my way. That's it. But you know what? That's not life. Life is about life is about um, being there for others. No man is an island. I do not want to live that, um, that barbarian life no more. I have a pride, and my pride loves me. Um, so new victory over hurt pride could be rewon. In most cases, the alcoholic survives this ordeal without relapse, but not but not always. So we think that unless some good and useful purpose is to be served, past occurrence should not be discussed. And that's what I just talked about. I mean, you know, it's not attractive to be gossiping. You know, do I do it sometimes? Yeah, but do I have a 10 step to talk about? Do I have a spot check inventory? And that's what I mean. If it wasn't for that 10, 11, and 12 piece, then I wouldn't be a very nice person to family, you know? I need to not be a morbid reflection, but I need to be accountable for my actions today. I wasn't accountable yesterday. And when I say yesterday, I mean before. But the family afterwards, um, you know, one day at a time, we're producing, you know, the big book, right? The program of action, 4 through 9 and 10, 11, and 12, is producing is producing um, not a finished product, but a product that's on the way because it's, it's a long road of construction ahead. <clears throat> another principle we observe carefully is that we do not relate intimate experiences of another person unless we are sure he would approve. Yeah, we don't gossip. You know, we don't got we don't got we we shouldn't gossip. You know, that's just not attractive. That's what I did before. That was hate, jealousy, uh, fear, anger. Those things been removed, man. Thank God for that sick man prayer. Thank God, um, like um, Deborah said, the develop the the the, the, uh, the government. I don't have those today. Why? Because we put that work in. I'll tell you one thing about this big book and the program of action. I'm taking like five people through the through the inventory process right now. Not because I got a big head, because my life is on the line. Stage four cancer. I could pick up any time and die. You know. More about alcoholism tells me that. I'm in grace today. I'm in a grace period, a grace period. And how many know, like Leah said, three remain free. Yeah, I'm in a grace period, but there's some steps i got to take to be in this grace period and being nice to others and being friendly and being warm and being loved, loved, loving to others. Um, as my time put, um, go, goes away, I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with this, that... Um, in the last paragraph, it says, "More, most many alcoholics are enthused. We, um, 
we go to the extremes. That could be very mean or too kind. But you know what? Those two, those two questions on page 86 convict me every day. Was I kind of loving to all, and what could I have done better? And if you know, and that keeps me on a straight and power, um, straight and narrow um, line. And with that, I like to pass. And thank you, Leah, for allowing me to do service. I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Charles H. And now we turn the page to 126 and 127, developed by Kathy K. Thank you, Leah. This is Kathy Kay, recovered from uh, the Boston area. And um, what I want to do is to pick up right where um, Charles left off um, and say that I was very much an enthusiast. And when I when I first came to program, I became an avid um, <clears throat> thumper of recovery. I hadn't yet. Uh, done the book, book, big book study work, so my recovery was not really recovery. But um, I brought home an excitement um, about how much better I was emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Um, and uh, this led to um, some unrealistic expectations, um, which we see in the first paragraph of page 126. Um, Dad may be tired at night and preoccupied by day. I certainly was that. If not irritable, he may seem dull and boring, not gay and affectionate, as the family would like him to be. And he is striving to recover fortune and reputation, and he feels he's doing very well. And I have to uh, chuckle a bit when I think of the fact that um, three years into my program, I sat my husband down, and having done a a fourth step, um, not according to the big book, but elsewhere, um, I told him uh, I wanted to make amends to him, and from now on, I was going to be kind and loving and not blaming and not controlling. I really had a glance and a first understanding of my character defects and thought I could just stop acting on them. Well, needless to say, that led to a lot of disappointment in the family um, because I was still um, emotionally volatile when anything happened. Um, that was difficult for me to handle. And so, um, uh, you know, this idea that we can create disappointment in our family if we uh, act, really, it was compulsively acting um, too early before I had really done the work, um, beginning to make amends when I really was not yet able to do so. Um, uh, and it says at the bottom of this page, this sort of thing can be avoided. Um, uh, it is of little use to argue and only make the impasse work. The family must realize that Dad, though marvelously improved, is still convalescing. And now this word convalescing really hits me hard because um, all, I have always been one to minimize my disease. I did not have a lot of weight to lose, 
but I certainly was killing myself with food as a type 1 diabetic, and I certainly was quite mentally ill between my ears, uh, spending most of my waking hours in worrying and anxiety or in blaming my family for my unhappiness. Um, uh, Today, as a result of working the steps thoroughly as they're laid out in the big book, I don't do that anymore. And it was very interesting to hear uh, quite recently from my husband that um, things really changed around the house uh when I stopped trying to change him. And he knows nothing about the steps, but he knows of his own experience. And, you know, he felt my controlling nature for years um, until I did the work and until I um, put the focus on me instead of on him or our son or other members of my family um, because they were not meeting my needs. Um, So I really embrace the idea that I am still in a process of convalescing. Um, I still have moments of despair, not very often, but And when I do, I know what to do about it. I know that I need to go to God. I need to write um, any um, turnarounds I may need to do in order to examine my own sick thinking and surrender it to God and then to proceed to act as he would have me do and be. Um, And this process of steps 10 and 11 um, have really enabled me to enact tolerance and love and patience at home. Um, And I see as time goes on uh, that I am getting better at acting tolerant, patient, and loving and kind. Um, And that as I do that... um, uh, my husband and my son and my family members don't experience me uh, as being moody and and unpredictable and mostly in a down mood as they did when I first entered the rooms uh, in 1993. I also, with accepting the fact that I am... Uh, in a process of convalescing, um, that I have to keep doing the work um, and that I am mainly to blame for what befell our family. Um, It's interesting that the more responsibility I take for my part and seeing how my character defects have been harmful to people I love, that they, too, start taking ownership for their part. Um, It's really quite a miracle that today, um, though my husband doesn't have a program, he does uh, frequently come to me and um, talk to me about what he's done that might have been harmful or hurtful to me. 
So uh, I would say that one of the miracles that's um, stated over and over again in this chapter is that the whole family changes as we do our work. Um, And as long as we stick to our side of the street and focus on um, our Uh, character defects and giving them to God and doing service for others um, and practicing what we know to be God's will for us, Uh, the more the family will recover as a whole. Um, This paragraph uh, towards the bottom of page 127, since the home has suffered more than anything else, It is well that a man exert himself there. He is not likely to get far in any direction if if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. You know, at some point um, when I was going through the big book study process, I realized that the amends I had made 10 years earlier uh, really uh, were not uh, depth they were really my my impatience to get on with life um, once I recognized that I had a part in some of the problems we experienced. Today, when I make an amends, um, I really think about it, and I take it to God, and I figure out what I need to do differently um, with my family. Um, I also see that I am modeling behavior for my husband and my son, and um, therefore they too are starting to take responsibility for their part in dynamics that may be uh, not very helpful to us as a family. So I think I'd like to end by just summarizing the three tenets that I get out of these two pages, the first being... um, that often there are unrealistic expectations either on my side or my family's side, and the best way to handle those is to keep the focus on myself and to model that for my family. Um, Secondly, we are in a process of convalescing. We're never cured, Um, and so the work must stay salient uh, and present from now on. Um, And the third point is that I must remember that I'm mainly to blame for what is not going well for me at home. You know, at that first sign of agitation, I need to go to God and I need to practice acceptance. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy Kay. And we'll now continue our study with Katie F. Please. Hello, this is Katie F, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And I'm on page 128, and I wanted to start with uh, overnight, as it were, he's a different man. And for me, unlike other times um, when I would go on diets or even when I came to OA the first time, um, I came to OA in 1981, but then struggled on and off with abstinence and would still make those declarations that tomorrow is the new day or today I'm abstinent or I got a new sponsor or um, any number of those 
declarations, but this time when I um, found a new uh, a program that was focused on the big book and I was at a bottom that I had never been at, I didn't make those kind of declarations to my family or friends or roommates or anyone. I, um, I just started going to meetings. I started making my phone calls. I started um, you know, putting down the food. And it was months before I told anyone in my family what I was doing, um, which was a huge change for me because I wasn't doing this, um, you know, trying to change them too. I wasn't trying to make everybody be just like me. And, you know, I didn't know at the time, that was October 1987, I didn't know at the time that that would be, you know, a big part of my recovery, that I would have to continue to uh, walk among a family that would not embrace this way of life. And, yes, there were times when I, um, you know, various family members, I have three sisters and a mother, um, all of them have come to me at times and said, you know, what are you doing, how do you do it? You know, but they really didn't want the whole program. They just wanted to stop um, overeating so they could lose some weight. And so that would, you know, be uh, their way for, you know, a year or two. One of my sisters for 10 years, um, she was in the rooms with me. And, you know, I thought we were on the same page. And then one day she said, you know what, I, I, don't, think I'm like, I don't think I'm like you. I don't think I really have this disease. And she walked away. And, you know, I've had to live with those relationships even though they have not gone the way I thought they should go. And, you know, the good news is I'm in daily contact with these people, and we don't ever have to talk about, um, you know, the fact that they've one of them's gained 100 pounds and one of them's gained 50 pounds. And, you know, I don't know how much weight they've gained, but I'm able to be with them and not have um, – the fact that I am continuing to walk on this path be a stumbling block. And, you know, I continue to pray that they will one day um, want to overnight become a new man. But, you know, I can't judge that they're not happy in their life. You know, I, this is why I say that I'm a grateful recovery compulsive overeater because I'm grateful that I am not on that fence and, questioning my program and thinking maybe there's an easier, softer way. For me, you know, this is the easier, softer way compared to what I would face if I went back to the food. Um, which brings me to the next part, um, which is, though the family does not fully agree with dad's spiritual activities, they should let him have his head. Even if he displays a certain amount of neglect and irresponsibility towards the family, it is well to let him go as far as he likes in helping other alcoholics. Um, you know, I'm not the head of a household, but I am, you know, as the saying goes, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And, you know, there's been many times in my marriage that my husband has said, um, you want to go to a meeting? <laughs> I'll watch the kids. Go on, isn't it at 7? you know, or whatever it is, and, um, you know, he's encouraged me, don't you have that um, Wednesday night phone meeting you can do? And, you know, he doesn't say, um, you're acting a little crazy here. Why don't you go to a meeting? But I have that level of support. And, 
I was married um, six years into my recovery. So my family, my husband, my in-laws, everyone in the community where I live, um, my children, none of them have seen me in active disease. And so, you know, I could could uh, dwell on that and could think, oh, I bet they're unhappy that I'm on the phone so much. And, oh, I bet they, you know, I could push that if I wanted to and say, you know, is this okay with you? Is this okay with you? But, you know, God has directed me to the level of service that I do at various times in my recovery. Um, there's times when it isn't appropriate to be on the phone as much as I am. And there's times when, you know, I, <laughs> I need to be on the phone even if I'm sitting at dinner um, with the family. I go outside or I go outside a restaurant or I walk around the block um, on vacation. I mean, I am willing to go to any length for my recovery and my family gets it. And mostly I have the boundaries that, I don't, it's not up to them. You know, I'm not um, codependent in that way to want them to approve of everything I do. Because I know from talking to newcomers, from talking to people that are my age or a little younger or a little older who have never been in recovery, who are just finding this for the first time, I know what my family would look like if I did not keep working this program. And I don't have to go back to the beginning to prove that. I don't have to say, see, see, this is why you want mommy to keep being on that phone meeting. I, I don't have to um, make them understand that. And, you know, I, um, I, <laughs> I know that there are times when people say they're too busy uh, to keep working this or it's too much work or it's too much um, time or, you know, they just don't have time. Their life has gotten so busy. And, you know, I just don't believe that. I believe that um, God on a daily basis reveals to me how much time I should take and how much time I shouldn't take. Um, And do I do it perfectly? Of course not. You know, there's times when I'm getting the evil stare from my daughter or my son or my husband. And, um, or, you know, they walk in and out of the room like, come on, mom, you know, get off the phone. Because I live in a rural community. I don't, I don't go to um, very many face-to-face meetings. Most of my recovery is, um, is on the phone. But as, you know, <laughs> I've been absent for many, many years, and it wasn't always like that. You know, there were times in my life when I could go to, you know, several face-to-face meetings a week, and I went to dinner, and I went out for coffee, and I went walking, and I did all these different things. But is that a formula, that that's the way I have to have my recovery? And if I don't have it that exact way, then it's not going to work? No. My experience has shown me that whatever season of life I'm in, that God will give me the fellowship I crave, and he will give me what I need, just enough light for um, the path that I'm on at the moment. I don't need to worry about, you know, how am I going to, you know, if I'm talking to a, a young mother and she's, you know, pregnant and uh, she's got a baby and it's like, you know, well, how am I going to, you know, do be on that phone meeting every day if I, you know, have this baby? And, you know, my experience has been that God gives me what I need when I need it and that there's times when I've had 
you know, five phone meetings a week and, you know, three face-to-face meetings, and there's been times when I haven't. And God, that's why this is, you know, a program that is 12 steps. It's not just tools. It's not just um, the meetings. It's not just one aspect of it. It is developing that relationship with God. And what this chapter, to me, is telling, is telling us is that um, in this last, last uh, paragraph on my two pages, it says, so the family does not fully agree with dad's spiritual activity. They should let him have his head because um, he needs, or we as uh, recovering people, we need to have that leeway. We need to have that opportunity to work our program. And, you know, I think the biggest problem is when I forget what it was like. And it's, you know, that's, uh, to me, why I can keep doing this on a daily basis because I remember the constant barrage that I had in my head of wanting to eat. And when I was eating, um, I, I was just so fogged and so, um, numbed out and not present for anyone, or I was so angry and hostile and just all those negative things that come with this disease. So working this program and managing my family life really seems very simple compared to that thick, shadowy world that I lived in and is waiting for me. I have not arrived. I've not come to the point where this could never happen to me again. I am um, recovered today by the grace of God, but I'm not cured. I am in remission. And if I picked up that first bite and I threw out this spiritual toolkit, I would be face down the food so fast and you would never hear from me again. And that is such a sad thought to me. I'm so grateful that there's all these people out there who are interested in recovery, um, you know, and I'm excited to meet, you know, a lot of you people um, at the end of October. And, you know, three years ago, <laughs> I had no idea in, in my life that this would be happening, that we would have all these people, you know, and that's what is so amazing to me is that God just keeps giving me exactly what I want and exactly what I need to continue on this path. And I didn't have to fall all the way back down the steps to realize I needed it. Um, it presented itself, and it's here. And I'm, you know, we can just keep, we just keep saying, I want more, I want more. And I'm just so grateful that um, it just keeps happening. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, KDS. Our next panelist, Deb W., will develop pages 130 and 131. Thank you, Leah, and thank you for asking me to do service. Uh, I'm Deb Debbie from Oklahoma, a recovered compulsive overeater. And the first paragraph on 130 speaks of a spiritual make-believe, and that, you know, kind of caught my eye. I have this reference on page 32 of the 12 and 12. The first paragraph, it speaks of the answer to the riddle having to do with the quality of faith rather than the quantity. This has been our blind spot, it says. We supposed we had humility when we really didn't. We supposed we had been serious about religious practices when upon honest appraisal we found we had only been superficial. 
or we hadn't wallow, had wallowed in the emotionalism and had mistaken it for true religious feeling. The fact is, is we hadn't really cleaned house so that the grace of God could enter us and expel the obsession. And, you know, I, when I listen to that, I think of my life. You know, I think of many of my fellow church members, I mean, hating to judge anybody, I, I, I did not, I wasn't able to equate this, the spiritual practices or the church practices to the everyday living. Um, you know, I went to church, I was raised in church, and, you know, we sang, danced, and brought our problems, and we got up and we walked away with them. So what did it mean to actually have the consciousness of a power and 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 utilize this power in my everyday life. And it wasn't until I came to program that I realized that this was possible. You know, that this God that, you know, this big God that or higher power that hoovers over is actually um a spirit that wants a personal relationship with us. However, even though, you know, in my meditations, in my prayer, on the lines, in my talks, I feel the spiritual connectedness to this power, I still walk away, get up from my books, walk into the living room, and my husband's saying, well, you didn't pay the, the paper boy. What's up with that? <laughs> I am go to actually go to conventions, come back, and I have this mundane life that, you know, day-to-day living. So this is what we learn. We learn how to live with our heads and our thoughts and our motives and our actions in line with a spiritual connectedness, but we live side-by-side to each other. Um, My family, I have one son who doesn't believe in God, I have uh, one son who believes, you know, and I'm not sure what he believes in Buddhist or Buddhism, which is fine. You know, I'm not putting it down, but, you know, I don't think he's real clear about their practices either. But, you know, they may not believe the way I believe, and it's none of my business. Um, if it works for them, you know, um, when I got out of the food and got back into the living, um, I could be present to to get involved in the children's activities. I could be present to, you know, make the plans. Actually, I was in the drugs trying to make the plans. I was in the drugs trying to uh, take over uh, the husband. But, you know, I could back out any time I wanted to. I could go in my room and shut the door, and the family knew that mom doesn't want to be bothered, you know, for hours you know, and hours on a regular basis. Um, And now I'm able to show up. I'm able to be consistent. Um, You know, isolation, like it says in the text, was a, you know, a dominant uh, defect of mine. You know, uh, I just, if I didn't want to be bothered, I just looked at the telephone. I didn't answer it, you know. Um, But today... I try to show up. I try to do the best I can. I look at the principles of the big book. I try to follow it uh, as close as I possibly can. Um, You know, I have a – 
page 131 tells us that we have fallen short of what we'd like to be to our family and friends. We tried even when the food is down. Our families wait to see if this is just one more fad, one more diet. They have no understanding that we're trying to make a life change also. I have formed a reputation with my family, and they pretty much today decide on their own, you know, what where I'm coming from, what I'm like. They don't a lot of times even hear what I'm trying to say. Um, but, you know, that's because of years of my hot and cold behaviors, my up and down and, you know, going off the handle and feeling justified. I'm still not well. I still practice, try to practice the principles of this program. The only hope of maintaining a semblance of what a mother should look like, what a wife should be, or having any kind of relationship. Stories my family tell me today are I was never at any of their games, never helped them prepare for college, never remember me celebrating their birthdays. Their stories are different from what I remember. However, I know that there could be some truth in them because I remember spending a lot of time in my room in a funk, not wanting them to know how miserable I felt. Sometimes their evaluations of me sting. Sometimes my husband's sarcasm hurts. The thought comes immediately, do I defend myself or do I turn to spiritual help? I follow the spiritual path I learned using the steps yet show up for my family's needs, even if sometimes it feels uncomfortable. The big book, uh, page 82, says the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have been have kept the home in turmoil. Through the grace of God, I don't have to debate my family and friends' way of seeing how it was. I can listen and then turn to God in a program that gives me solace. On page 83 of the big book, it says their defects may be glaring, talking about the family, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. I take responsibility. You know, I, I was so wrapped up in myself. You know, I was wrapped up in recovery when I first came. I remember my seven-year-old said, uh, Mama, are you going to another meeting? And I would say, yeah. She, I said, he said, why do you go to those meetings? I said, to get better. He said, it's not working. <laughs> so we cleaned house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. It will be a struggle, even when we put the food down to repair the broken relationship. Page 79 reminds us that the, we decided. We decided. When we walked this, went through this step process, when we received this spiritual awakening, we made a decision to uh, go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. We made a decision to live on a spiritual plane. So things are not always easy. And the reason that we do the things that we do are not because of our family. You know, the reasons that we, you know, take this stuff, the reasons that we, you know, come sometimes get on our knees crying and upset is because we we want to please God today. I want to please my higher power. I want to continue to see life from a different perspective. And uh, so uh, 
we need God, we need a higher power, we need family, and we have to help others just to stay out of the addiction and have a full life. And that, with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Deb W. Let's continue our study with Sharon R.S., please. Oh, thank you, Leah, and thank you to uh, all of those who have uh, gone before me and to all of you on the line. I am Sharon R.S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater and very, very grateful to be here on the line this morning. I am uh, looking at pages 132. Uh, 2 through 131, and one of the things that stands out to me is uh, is that uh, we are finding our place in community and in society, and that is uh, uh, starting at the page, uh, at the top of page 32, which actually begins on page 31. It talks about the alcoholic will find he has much in common with these people, and they're referring to uh, religious communities. But I think it also applies to any community that we have been a part of we can, uh, and, and done work with. We can return to, to, to those communities and find that the work that we have done in getting recovered is beneficial. It, it helps us to be good people overall, not just good recovered compulsive overeaters, but good citizens. It's here that new avenues of usefulness and pleasure, So, which is interesting. We're going to be useful, but we're going to get joy out of it. It's not going to be just mundane, uh, morbid, uh, just helping just for uh, that we don't get any benefit out of it. We do benefit from it. It says he may bring new hope and new courage. So we bring something. We have something to offer. When I was in the food, I had nothing. It was all about me, selfishness and self-centeredness. I'd go into my uh, my apartment, close the curtains, and just eat. It was just me and the food. I didn't feel I had anything I wanted to have something to offer, but I didn't feel that I had anything. But as we recover, we find that no matter how far down we have gone, we have something that can benefit others. On page 63, it tells us that we uh, now have a new employer being all-powerful. He provided what we needed if we keep close to him and perform his work well. So when we're going out, we're going out into our communities, into our families, doing God's work. Established on such a footing, he became less and less interested in, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. So when we go out, it's not about me. It's not about us. I'm not going out there doing service so I can get recovered, so I can have enjoyment. It's what we can do for others. And realizing that it's through that connection with our higher power that we serve in our homes and in our communities. As we felt new power, um, now here it says, more and more we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. How can I be of love and service? And, and many of us were in the food. We neglected our, our children. We neglected our husband. 
we neglected our other family members. And so now, how can I serve my husband? How can I serve my children? How can I be of help to them? And, and for me, sometimes it's been stepping back and listening and, and saying to myself, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. God bless them and help me. Help me to, uh, to understand. Help me to learn. Bless them and help me. So much of my life has spent in selfishness. What can I get out of it? What can my husband do for me? But what can I do for him? And how can I, um, how can I be of love and service? And so that's how we enter into these two pages. And then we go to the first full paragraph. And in that first full paragraph, it is, it is a demonst- we, we find that what we're being asked to do is to be a life-size uh, walking uh, big book, basically. We're a testimony of what recovery can do. And, uh, and, and uh, so we demonstrate that. We're dealing with alcohol in its worst aspects, it says. And it says, um, uh, we're not a glum lot. Well, why aren't we a glum lot? Well, we, we, when we think about what we've gone through and where we're at, when we celebrate the victory of recovery, the joy of recovery, what has been done for us, through our higher power, how can we be sad? We, we can just rejoice in that uh, and, and the promises. We will know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past. So we are li- living the promises of recovery, and for that reason, we can uh, uh, be happy and joyous uh, because of the freedom that we've gotten. We have... Uh, and so just really focusing on that gratitude. Uh, the other thing it says in this paragraph is we stay in our own lane. It says that um, we, we, uh, and, and we don't participate in the cynicism, and the cynicism meaning the belief that people are generally selfish and dishonest. So we, we get away from that. We don't carry the world's trouble on our shoulders. Um, and... We, we stay in our side of the street. We stay right-sized. We are not God. We're not running the show. We are actors. We're being told what to do, and we live that, and we're no longer trying to. Even our children, I had to let go of that. I had to listen. I had a 14-year-old, and I'm, I had her when I was older, so I, I, I had so much to give her, so much to offer. But she wants to live her own life, and I have to support that and, and help her be what she can be. Um, so, and we're uh, available to our fellows, but we let our families know that we have to be of service, so, so we respect them, we let them know why, why we're on the phone all the time, uh, so that they can understand, and we let them know that, for me, I, I told my children, I'm recovering because of you, because I love you so much, I'm doing this work, and I'm, I'm staying recovered, and part of the work that I have to do is to work with other people, and um, and as my children have grown, I I uh, explain to them in different ways. Uh, the big book talks about here. It talks about we tell our story to our fellows, and we're honest with them, and it helps them to identify in. 
And I do that same thing with my children and with my husband. I tell the story of where I'm at at the level that they can understand. Uh, For my children, it's always about them. For my husband, I also tell him I'm recovering so I can be a better partner to you. And I want to be of love and service to him. Um, and, uh, And so we have our different stories about where we came from, what happened, what we're like now. And we tell that in a way that's helpful to others. On page, uh, we're also told to continue. Page 32, we have a whole paragraph that just talks about laughter and usefulness. We've been given the power to help others. And, and again, that's something we can be grateful for. On page one, uh, and then uh, the end of that, page 132, everybody knows about that we've come from a place of bad health. And it's, uh, there's contrast. We didn't play much when we were in the food, but now uh, we're new. We have this belief in God, so we can be happy, joyous, and free. Not God, God as you understand God. So we can be happy, joyous, and free in this new life that we have. Uh, we made our own misery. We're told in this chapter, so. We can make our own happiness. If we can make our own misery, we can make our own happiness. And if we stick close to the program and and, uh, continue to work this program. So recovery, we find on page 133 in that first paragraph, is progressive. A A body badly burned by alcohol does not recover overnight. It's progressive. It doesn't happen overnight, nor does twisted thinking or depression vanish in a twinkling. So we are miracles, the miracles of recovery. It says twice on page 133. We are miracles of recovery, meaning it didn't happen by our power. It happened by a power outside of ourselves. So we have to stay close to that power every single day and not get back into our own old ways. We're also told that to respect the medical profession, to stay close, uh, to to be willing to go and get help. I'm actually taking more medication today, you know, in terms of vitamins and and, and uh, uh, the actual prescription medication has reduced. But at one point it went higher, and then as I've gotten more recovery, I've been able to get off of medications uh, that I that I had to take. Uh, because I was found I was self-medicating with food. In, in conclusion, uh, in talking about these pages, I want to just give a kind of, um, it, the, there's one thing it talks about here on the bottom of page 133, is the use of sweets are often helpful. And I just want to say what I have found is that in order to take the edge off of life, some of the things that I have found is that I need to be a part of the herd in the OA room just to be close to my fellows, and they help me get over those difficult times, being of service in the rooms, calling a newcomer, listening, uh, whatever I can do helps me to get over the hard times. Meetings and more meetings at the beginning, uh, more and more, and even as I get further in my program, more meetings, staying close, being of service in those meetings, getting professional help, not staying away from professional help, not self-medicating, but going and get the, getting the help and listening to my fellows when they say go get help, exercising, not over-exercising in the moderation, and, and drinking plenty of water, uh, even sometimes just plain hot water, 
uh, uh, and uh, getting the rest that I need, making sure that I don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And then I can stay connected to my higher power so I can stay in service to my family and in service to our community. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Sharon R.S. And now Janice M. will develop the last two pages of Chapter 9, The Family Afterward. And thank you so much, Leah, for inviting me. What a privilege. What a privilege. Hi, everyone. My name is Janice M. And, you know, I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive over eater. And, you know, when I say grateful, I go, wow. I was never grateful. You know, I was chronically dissatisfied with everything and everyone. They didn't live up to my standards. So as I develop pages 134 and 35, I'll show you what I was like and how I am today in relation to these pages. I'm going to give you just a little family background to tell, you know, to see where I'm coming from. Um, you know, I have been married for 51 years as of July 18th. Wow, that's a miracle. I have a son who turned 50 on August the 13th. Wow, that's a miracle. And myself, who I'm 73 years young, and wow, that is a miracle. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be talking about the sex relation, and uh, God does have a sense, a real sense of humor in my life with that subject. Um, the newest revelation came, you know, just recently talking to a sponsee to change from my deepest resentment and, uh, for my husband to compassion for my husband and the fact that, you know, we've been living together for 51 years, and he's living with two compulsive overeaters, <clears throat> pardon me, a recovered a drug and alcoholic addict and also a duly diagnosed son. He has um, two diagnoses. And I'm telling you this, um, you know, to say that, you know, my life wasn't easy, and, of course, I made it even harder. So I'm going to now relate to you, um, and I'm also coming from, um, you know, a dysfunctional alcoholic family. You know, these two pages have given me so much direction and advice, and advice, you know, from my experience and their experience that I will show you, you know, my experience based on learning many things in my life the hard way, some of them very painful, so hopefully that you'll be able to avoid these unnecessary difficulties. Okay, the central theme throughout these two pages are changing my attitudes. Um, yeah, a word, the very first paragraph, a word about sex relations. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> People say, oh, sex relation, that's taboo. Well, certainly in my family that, you know, from a puritanical background, oh, it was a dirty word. But, you know, sex, I have come to find out, is a big challenge. But, you see, it's not just necessarily the physical action of the sex. What's the challenge is that I was emotionally unavailable and physically unable to respond to my husband. Um, and there was a lot of destruction there. There was fear. There was frustration. There was depression um, because of intimacy. You know, I had the, and I just, it was just revealed to me, honest to goodness, um, recently about the deep, now I've been through 
Alan, I mean, I came into the, to these rooms through Alan on in 1982. So I have a lot of years in these 12-step programs. But in time, God reveals to us what is the deepest. And my, I had the deepest resentment to my husband. And you can see how my life has evolved with this deep resentment. From 1964, I got married. I uh, got pregnant at four months, marriage. I had a son uh, 13 months later. And um, I had a new home. I had a new business and a new home, uh, a new, I mean, a new husband. And I can remember, I used to laugh at this particular experience. I used to go, ha, ha, ha. You know, my, my husband's a doctor, and when I was pregnant in the labor room, um, I, had, I was so full of self-pity. And my husband actually was in another room with the uh, GYN um, obstetrician uh, having Chinese food. And if you don't think that I was, oh, mad, <laughs> self-pity, poor me, here I am, toxemia, having this baby at 21 years old, did I resent him? Well, that was hidden for many, many years, and I always blamed him, you know, for the pregnancy and my life, and, oh, poor me, look at me with the baby. And, of course, you know, this became a, a challenge, and, you know, I would withdraw I would punish him throughout the years, you know, my self-pity. See, what's behind this sex is not sex. It's, it's, it's the resentment. It's my selfishness. I, was, I wanted to be, in, you know, continue in my business, and, and God had other plans for me. So, you see, um, yeah, and it was um, sexually stimulating when I was drinking and eating, but then it, was a, then it became a deterrent, a deterrent for me because of my resentment, because of my selfishness, because I, was, I, I, I couldn't be intimate. But believe you me, my fourth step inventory proved to be a journey of surprises and discoveries about me, how dishonest I became through rationalization and justification, the fear, the fear of pregnancy. Um, this went on and on and on throughout my life. So you can see it's more than just the physical um, <laughs> because of my character defects. Now, it, it also talks about emotional upset. Um, that's, that was my problem. It wasn't sex. It was my emotional, uh, yeah, not my sex instinct as much as my emotional and my spiritual and um, my social instinct. But you see, I needed help then, 51 years ago, um, but I didn't get what I needed. However, it says here, and it's just repeated on page 133, isn't it, um, that don't be, uh, I'm focusing on there should be no hesitation in consulting a doctor or psychologist if the condition persists. But, of course, you know, in those days, oh, you're just a new mother, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, and blah, blah, blah. So um, doctors are very, you know, they're gifted, they're gifted. So, of course, through the, you know, through this particular background, um, my poor son, you know, got very affected by this. I mean, and I, you know, I was resentful. Um, he was in my way. Um, then he, you know, at, at 13, he was diagnosed as an affective schizophrenic and um, alcoholism. And, you know, poor me now. Oh, my, my, poor me. However, you see, in the children, I love this in the second paragraph. The alcoholic 
may find it hard to reestablish friendly relationships. But I can tell you today that we have a wonderful relationship, both my husband and my, my, uh, my son. Why? Because of the um, application of these 12 steps. Um, yeah, did, I, did my son become neurotic? Absolutely. Did my husband become neurotic? Absolutely. I didn't cause it, you know, but I thought that I could control it and um, I could cure them. When I came into Al-Anon in 1982, my brother was um, a recovered alcoholic, and he, um, he uh, uh, gave me the big book. And, of course, taking the big book, I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll fix all the alcoholics in my life. And that became my domineering and my demanding attitude um, with the children, with my son, trying to, to get him better, trying to control him. Um, focusing on him, uh, not focusing on my husband. So there was a lot of neuroses in my family, um, domination, um, controlling, as I said, because it was a big thing, um, you know, criticizing, judgmental, not being loving and tolerant. You know, the central theme that I found with these two um, pages, the theme was love which, of course, I had no knowledge of, kindness, tolerance, and patience. That's what I'm growing towards today. Yes, I had none of that because I was so into myself, and my life wasn't working out the way that I wanted it to work out, and I had so much fear that it wouldn't work out. But today there's wonder, surprise, and amazement really with, um, with my family. And on, the, on 134, I just, whether the family goes on a spiritual basis or not, the alcoholic member has to if he would recover, which tells me regardless if my, my son doesn't go to AA, regardless if my, son, my husband, who absolutely will not be in a 12-step program because there's nothing wrong with him, you know, you know that type, um, God bless him, change me. Um, but my business is my priori- priority to stay in fit spiritual condition. And the only way they're going to see any, be there any difference in my family is I'm going to act on these principles. I can't talk to them. I used to tell them, oh, you should do this, you should do that. Seeing is believing to most families who have lived with a drinker. Yes, actions, what a, what a statement that is. Um, our actions are more revealing than our words. And, of course, we know that the hardest place to work this program is in the home. Um, my, my, my son still smokes cigarettes. He's a big coffee drinker. I, you know, I can't punish him for that. I have to focus on me and not nag him and change me um, with the help of my higher power. Um, I, I'm so grateful he's not drinking, and he hasn't in 20 years. He's on medication, and he's doing well. And I do live by these three mottos. First things first, what it means to me and my family is, look at Janice, take care of your spirituality, you and your relationship with God. That's what it says to me. Live and let live says live how you're supposed to live and let others in your family, your husband, your son, and others, even in a way, live the way they want to live. You're not God, you know. God, help me from the obsessive thinking about the lives of others, you know. And easy does it. What a statement. Um, 
Yeah, easy does it. Working towards ideals. Take it easy. Concentrate on these on 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 yourself and your higher power. Let him put him put your family in God's hands and um, and others. Uh, but do it. Do what you have to do, and let God do the rest. And uh, I thank you for asking me, and I'm going to pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M., and thank you to all the panelists for illuminating Chapter 9, The Family Afterward, through your personal experience and insights. Thank you very much to all of you. Contact information for our panelists will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We'll now transition into question and answer period and a request to keep questions on the more general side rather than specific family uh, situations. Those specific family situations, those personal situations, will be best discussed on a one-on-one phone call uh, at a later time. So now I'll open the floor for questions. If you have a question for one of our panelists, please press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself. Star 1 to unmute. Hi, this is Paula from Maryland. I have a question. Paula, Um, thank you. Hold on one second. Let's see if anybody else would like to ask a question as well. Anyone else besides Paula, in addition to Paula? Anne from New Hampshire. I also have a question. Anne. And anyone else? Jump in. The water is warm here. Okay, well, let's start with Paula. Go ahead, Paula. Okay, thank you. Um, It was for, really, the ladies on the panel. The question is, and I don't even know if it's an appropriate question, but um, for the food plan that you guys use, do you have um, a certain food plan to get you to where you are to be abstinent? Is there a certain food plan? Is there a nutritionist that you use? And... um, are you off the sugar, flour, and wheat? I'm just curious. Thanks, Paula. Thanks. This is Deb Zabu. Go ahead, Deb. I am off sugar, flour, and wheat, and uh, basically whey and measure. And I did have a, a, a plan that was developed by a nutritionist um, that was suggested to me. So... That's my answer. Thank you, Deb. Mm-hmm. Anyone else want to respond to Paula's question? This is Sharon. Go ahead, Sharon. And I am on on off. I am off of sugar, wheat, and flour, and a bunch of other things. But I have a physical allergy to wheat as well. Like, of course, I'm addicted to sugar. But um, I work with a nutritionist. I do have sponsees, however that um, actually my sponsees are, are for the most part off of, of wheat as well. But I, uh, and I generally ask them to stay off of wheat when we first start just because it's been such a problem with everyone, with so many people. But 
some of them gradually uh, add it back in. So it's not as, as um, it's, it's very individual, and that's why it's important to work with the, uh, some of the uh, professionals that know better than we do. But uh, as addicts, I try to ask them to stay off of that. But I do have a plan, and I work the plan every day. I plan out my food, write it down. And uh, for me, I, I actually call it in to another sponsor. Yeah. And thank you very much. And to Paula, just a additional comment that we utilize the doctor's opinion, uh, a sponsor who's recovered, as well as the help of a nutritionist to uh, identify and analyze those food substances that trigger the phenomenon of craving um, and that we abstain from prior to working the 12 steps of recovery and, of course, utilizing a doctor, dietitian, or nutritionist in, in helping to create a food plan which keeps in mind our medical history and our, our personal uh, individual physical needs. And uh, further discussion on that can be had with one-on-one -on -one phone calls. So thanks for your question, Paula. Now we'll move on to Anne. Your question, please. Hi, this is Anne, compulsive overeater. Um, yeah, I also recovered for ten years, and I. Uh, but with this thing with family, you know, I think I'm 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 working really hard. I'm trying to be more positive and less critical all the time, which is what was my past behavior, but I still struggle with this idea of drawing boundaries when I feel that my children's behavior is unacceptable, and I, um, my children are 22 and 24, they're, they're males who live at home and don't work and don't study and are living at basically as parasites off me and my ex-husband, and I, I I feel that that's unacceptable, and I um, anyway I and I feel that I need to draw some kind of boundaries and 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 be normative somehow with this. And I would be interested in um, hearing from any of the panelists about drawing boundaries where really I feel like I'm maybe enabling them somehow, and I'm not quite sure how to how to proceed. Thank you, Anne. Panelists, who would like to respond? Charles H. from New York. Go ahead, Charles. You know, that's, that's okay. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, because it, it's been my experience that, you know, our, our family, especially our immediate family, they know, <laughs> you know, not not through advertisement, but they see what's going on. They know we're in the program. They know we're doing. They, we may think they don't. We don't. They don't know about us doing a a, a nightly and daily and spot checking into a ten step. They'll use that to beat us over the head. So boundaries have has to be made, and that's where, in my opinion, a higher power has to come in 
and we're in an 11-step where we ask for intuitive thought because they will try, people will try to use that, um, the fact that we're in recovery and we're doing the right thing, we're trying to um, correct our uh, errors and turn them into assets. They'll try to beat us over the head. So boundaries are necessary, but it is necessary to have, you know, a loving higher power um, that you can pray to and meditate to to get an intuitive thought. And then once you get that intuitive thought, um, you will get insight on 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 your higher power's will, and I hope that uh, can help a little. Thanks. Thank you, Charles. Did another panelist want to respond? This is Janice. Yes, Hi, go ahead. Kathy Kay. And then Kathy. Go ahead, Janice. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Anne, for that question. Yes, I can identify with you with having a 22-year on a 24. I just had one, but... That was certainly enough. Um, you know, in a way, um, or any of the 12 steps, we don't, you know, our own purpose is to, you know, to to learn about ourselves. And, you know, we don't give advice. Uh, we can give experience. I mean, if you call me on one-to-one, I can give you experience on what I did, you know. Um, and the book teaches us to, you know, if you feel that something isn't going right, get into another program, get yourself recovered, um, uh, contact doctors and psychiatrists because you know what <laughs> they've been given that to us through God um, I can give you my enabling experiences um, you know then I finally found out that you know my son you know had a had a drinking problem and an eating problem and my son lives with me and he's still eating compulsively and he sees daily what I do I mean they can even bring me my breakfast where I do the meeting every day so um, something's going on, you know, and um, I, I don't know, and uh, I can't give you advice, but I can give you my experiences and lead you on a one-on-one if you give me a call on where, you know, some resources where you can go. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Janice. Kathy Kay? Kathy Kay, did you also want to respond to Ann's question? Star one to unmute. Sorry, Leah, I was talking away there. Sorry. Um, here I am. Thank you, Ann, for your question. I too uh, struggle with those issues around my son, who's now 28. Um, I think it's a lifelong issue and challenge for those of us with adult children. Um, to set clear boundaries and to modify them as appropriate. Um, And I, too, have um, found that really going to God with my uncertainty and my questions about what to do really, really helps me when I combine it with asking fellow travelers who are in similar situations what they do or what they have done. Um, And then I can bring those two input to prayer and meditation and intuitively evolve an approach that seems like God's will for me. Um, We know from having practiced these steps that um, we're not going to make a mistake if we do something that doesn't have the effect we intended we go back to God and we do the next right thing again. Um, so I think 
partnering with God and with our fellow travelers helps figure out what the next right action should be. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy Kay. Thanks, Anne, for the question. Anyone else with questions for our panelists this morning? This is Deanna B. Deanna B. Anyone else in addition to Deanna B? Kathleen in California. Kathleen. Alice M. M. I didn't catch the last person. Sorry. Mary H. Mary H. Anyone else? This will be the final invitation for questions. Anyone else? If it's on your mind, I bet it's on others' minds as well. Going once. Leah? Yes. Hi, it's Mary Lou in California. Okay, Mary Lou. Twice. Three times. Okay, we're going to have Deanna B. first. Go ahead, Deanna. This is Deanna B., grateful, recovered, just for today, compulsive overeater. And it was just wonderful listening to the family afterwards. I really needed to hear everything. Uh, My question is, any suggestions on how to handle my family? Uh, I'm in the hospital in a step-down program, and my appetite is not very good, and they're blaming it on the fact that I'm trying to be abstinent. Well, I have that covered. And I have permission from myself and my nutritionist that if I need to eat whole wheat, I will, but I don't have to. And they say, just eat, don't worry about it. But I don't have an appetite, and they're not believing me. I'm trying to be as kind and caring and loving as I can. And uh, also, um, and not get irritated which I might have a tendency to do. And thank you. So my question is how to help to be as, you know, what can I say to my family to just say back off? I guess I could say back off. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. Any of our panelists want to? Respond in a general fashion, please, to Anna. This is Deb W. Go ahead. I have been, I was in the program 17 years, back-to-back abstinence, and then relapsed and came back to Vision for You and um, had a stronger program, I believe. Uh, that involves eating in a way different than my family. Uh, my family has always had comments about my eating. Um, they have adjusted to the fact that I eat that way, but they have never totally, all of them, uh, believed the way that it was necessary. Um, that's just something I have to accept. I mean, I accept that. There are a lot of things about our relationships that, you know, I accept and they accept from me. 
they're respectful when we go to restaurants. They say, well, Mama, what can you eat? You know, which sometimes I, rather than not focus, and I can just pretty well speak up for myself. But I just think for me that they will always, there will always be something that they have comments that may not always settle with me uh, very well. Thank you. Thank you, Deb W. Thanks, Deanna B., for the question. Kathleen, your turn. Hi, thank you. This is Kathleen. Janice, you had so beautifully said that you have compassion for your family now rather than resentment. And my question is, how do you, when when those obsessive thoughts come up of wanting, of what the person should or should not be doing, how do you stop those? And do you ever get to a point where you just always have that compassion and rather than the resentment? And you get to the point where you can always just, you know, let it go, let them be them, and not have those obsessive thoughts. Thank you. Well, thank you, Kathleen. This is Janice. Thanks for the question. Now, uh, (laughs) I hope I didn't sound like I have compassion all the time because then I would be cured, right? And I'm not cured. But God is always revealing to me, like, what, what my part was in it. I mean, some of these revelations that I have, like this past one for compassion, just came to me maybe two weeks ago, and I'm not even in my fourth step. I mean, I'm I'm recovered, but I'm always, you know, I'm always growing spiritually. So um, the revelation that, gee, you know what, my husband, and I said it to him, you know, um, honey, you know, you know, now I realize that, boy, you've been living all this, all these lives, all this time in your marriage, in our marriage, you know, with two compulsive overeaters. And he says, tell me about it. <laughs> and, of course, I have to say, well, he's right. But it just was revealed to me. Do I get irritated? Do, do I get irritated? Do I get resentful? Absolutely. But then I, the big book teaches me and my program teaches me that, okay, I'm irritable. Now, what did they say or what's going on that affected me? In what way has it affected me? Am I selfish? Am I, am I you know, uh, putting up a standard that they shouldn't be saying that and they should be saying this, you know, it's my expectations, and um, uh, and then I have to pause. And then if I react, which sometimes I still do, I react, but then I have to do a step 10. And I'm doing step 10s because that's my that's my my key to living. And then they say, yep, yep, tell me about it, yep, you know, and they'll, they'll come back and they'll say, yeah, uh, Okay, I'm going to tell those people on the line what you're doing, and I have to look at me. You know, you're right. You're right. So um, this is everything. Every day there's some revelation. I mean, you know, I don't know about every day, but there's always revelations. And that resentment that I had about my husband when I was first married and had the baby, and I I couldn't believe it. I used to laugh at it that they were in another room because my husband's a doctor too, having Chinese food. Huh. You know, I used to laugh, ha, ha, ha. But now I know that's a deep resentment that I had, self-pity, self-pity. So, yeah, if these things are going to come up, that's why we have the 10th step. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you very much, Janice. And, of course, thank you, Kathleen, for the question. Now, Alice M., your turn to ask a question. 
Yes, thank you, Leah. Oh, man, this chapter is a big one for me because um, I deal with this. Uh, I try to navigate through this whole family afterward thing and stay in recovery. But just um, my question is at the end of this. Um, uh, you know, four years ago, I relapsed terribly. Long story short, I had to go to treatment. And when I returned from treatment, um, I, I, was, I was committed to going to the length I needed to go to recover rather than not, which meant die, quite simply for me. And so the wife and mother who came home to them, to my husband and daughter, um, from treatment was very different. Um, it, 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 it required sacrifices on their part. It required them to, to be inconvenienced at times. Um, you know, I was on the phone making my program calls, making food changes in the kitchen for hours, you know, weighing, measuring, chopping vegetables, um, making food changes in the middle of family outings. It was... Um, it was what I needed to do, but it was not what they were used to. Um, my relapse period before that, I was, it was very secretive. Um, my bulimia was very secretive. My program of recovery is not. It can't be. Um, you know, I don't wait until they are asleep at night, you know, before I sneak out into the parking lot and weigh and measure my food. And that's what I was doing, you know, sneaking out and, and uh, you know, binging and puking at night. And, and it, they had a false sense of me being more available before I was in recovery. Um, and it took one night, my husband said, um, you know, he got fed up with, with everything I was needing to do and I guess inconveniencing more. And he said, you know, you were more available when you were using. And that just cut to, cut to my heart, but it also really pissed me off. So I still don't know, um, because I lied so much before, you know, and was, was, falsely available. I was present more, yes. Um, I just, I don't know if someone can can help shed the light on. This is four years later, and I still, um, it's still very inconvenient at times for them, but it's, you know, I, I, I guess if they were seeing results from me, they'd be saying, well, that's worth it, but like that previous speaker said, you know, her son said, well, it's not working. Sometimes I feel that. Um, so if someone, I don't know if any of the panelists, whatever, can just talk about, you know, patience or tolerance or I don't know what I need to do except continue doing what I'm doing. <laughs> I just don't know what to do to make it a little less convenient and a little from New York. Thanks. Hey Alice, that's you know, that's that's such a great that's such a great analysis. Um I, I could I could recall and identify in with, you know, coming in the program and like, yo, you know, hanging out with my friends and and, like, they're going to certain places, and I was, like, kind of apprehensive and, you know, like, trying to hide. And, like, you know, I felt like, man, I'm a weirdo. Like, even when, you know, even when I was talking with some, some family members and friends, and, and they still try once in a while to shove stuff in my face and, hey, why don't you try this and try that. But, you know, my disease, <laughs> like it says in We Agnostic, my disease is, was my great persuader. So really, it's not even like being callous or cold to others. And as Sally A always says, I got stage stage four cancer when it comes to uh, my disease. So at this point, um, yeah, if I want to be around and be interact with the family after, um, yeah, I can't be hiding this stuff, man. This, listen, I'm not going around wearing an OA shirt or a Vision for You t-shirt or something like that, but I can't hide, man. This disease, this disease exposed me. So, you know what? Um, in a loving way, yeah, many are not going to understand. 
But those that really love you, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna cheer you. They're gonna be like Alice. You keep doing your thing, girl, because we love the Alice that we see the family afterwards. Right now, we love the recovered Alice. So you know what? It's not even being cold or callous. It's about doing the right thing, even though people think it's strange. And I identify with it. And I hope that helps a little. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Any other panelists like to respond to Alice's question? This is Janice. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Leah. Um, yes, Alice, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful question. Um, yeah, I had the same thing. I was very secretive in my disease, <laughs> very secretive. I mean, I, I, I taught them how not to trust me. But, you know, the thing is it's going to be unbalanced. That's, that's the whole thing that I see in my, in my life with my family. And I have to understand and I've learned to understand that, yeah, they have their own selfishness. They have their own self-centeredness. You know, I'm being taken away from them from breakfast. I'm on the phone. But it, the, the longer I do that and show them, you know, that this is what I do, then they'll understand because they don't understand. They had me around them all the time or not all the time. So um, it's um, very secretive. I taught my family how to not to trust me. So, you know, up and down, up and down. I'd be on the diet. I'd be off the diet. So we have to understand that they have their own spirit, my family I'm talking about, have their own selfishness. They're, they're, self, they're spiritually sick also. And naturally they're going to react like that. And, but that will balance out, um, Alice. It really will balance out as long as we keep per- persevering our own recovery. And that, with that, I pass. Thanks. Devora? Go ahead, Devora. So, um, yeah, thank you, Alice. That's a good question. And you know, I also wondered, you know, is this having an effect? Like, should I keep doing this? But, you know, this one complains. I go to a meeting, and this one I'm always on the telephone. And, you know, it was told to me, though, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, how many times when I was, you know, I would announce, I'm going on another diet. Monday morning, I'm going on another diet. Every All eyes would be rolling. Oh, here we go again. Here we go again. Another announcement. And, you know, when I came around to this, came into this program, I did it very quietly. I wasn't, I did not make a whole to-do about it. Um, And I think that's what spoke louder than anything, that my actions were speaking louder than my words. I kept quiet. I didn't do anything. Um, I just did what I had to do. Um, And it was told to me also, like, don't give in. Don't give in. You know, speak your, like, let them see your actions and how convicted you are that you're, yeah, how you are to this, to this program, how serious you are. That it's not a, a fly-by-night business. That you can't just be on it one day and then the next day it's off and then one day on. I mean, that was that showed no consistency. That's what I did my whole life. So today, you know, my family doesn't ask me questions. Like, this is what I need to do. This is what I do, and that's it. Um, and I think it's because I just stick to my guns and I just keep doing what I do and 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 they go along for the ride and uh and that's all I have. Thank you. Thanks, Devora. Thanks, Alice, for the question. Mary H, your turn. Mary H. I think it was Mary Lou. Okay. Well then, yeah. 
Let's go with Mary Lou. Hi. Good morning, Leah. Mm-hmm. This is Mary Lou in Southern California, recovered compulsive overeater. So, so, so grateful. Thank you for everyone who shared on the meeting today. I'm wondering if anyone um, has gotten any help through um, Al-Anon, because I have. Any responses there? Obviously, we stay focused on uh, compulsive overeating here. Um, I believe a few panelists did suggest uh, Al-Anon. If any of the panelists want to give some general feedback on that. This is Katie. Yes, go ahead, Katie. Um, Yes, I have gone to Al-Anon a little bit. never been, you know, a big um, participant in actual meetings, but I have bought their literature and, um, you know, just used that as my daily reading, um, part of my daily reading for a while when I was going through a particularly difficult time with um, family. And I'm a stepmother, been a stepmother for 20, almost 21 years, and uh, to deal with an ex-wife and, you know, just all of those issues. So that. You know, my codependency came in with my husband, trying to help him with that situation more than I should have. And, you know, just um, as I said earlier, God gives us what we need when we need it. And, you know, I don't think that – I, I really think I'm codependent completely but um, as someone in those rooms. But um, certainly we can um, gain um, – get help from anything (laughs) and there's just so much 12-step literature and so many different programs that um you know i i think um you know as my sponsor has said we can weigh and measure anything and you know i have learned to um you know commit to to anything not just my food but how I'm going to speak and what I'm going to do and, um, you know, bookending uh, conversations and uh, just on a daily basis, whatever is going on. Because, you know, I've got my food down, I've got my, you know, thin body, but that doesn't mean that my life is easy and everybody does what I want and everything goes the way I want it to. So any resource that you... um, can utilize, you know, it's very encouraged. It's encouraged in the literature. It's encouraged in the big book that we expand our spiritual life. And so that may mean, you know, adding another 12-step program or at least adding the literature of another step program um, or, you know, other resources through um, the religion of our choice. So I, I certain, I'm not sure exactly what you're question was, but I guess my answer is that, yes, um, I have utilized uh, Al-Anon material with that will pass. Thank you, Katie, and thanks, Mary H. I certainly encourage you to uh, utilize personal phone calls for further encouragement and experience on that subject matter. So thank you, 
And yes, we have a actually Mary Lou. Thanks, thanks. That was Mary Lou's question. And actually, our final question comes from Mary H. I believe. Mary H. You still on the line with a question? Before we wrap up here, is there time for one more after Mary? Leah, can you hear me? Is this Mary H? Yes, one of the many Marys, and this is Mary H. Okay, Mary H, hold on one second, and I believe, was that Yodis trying to come in uh, with Uh, another question? Is that correct? There was someone else that popped up with a question. Uh, yes, I'm, cap- I'm having telephone problems. It was it was Yudas, yes. Okay. Okay, Thanks we'll so let you get in as the final question, but let's go to Mary H. Go ahead, Mary. Thank you, Leah. Mary H., newly recovered from Northern California. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, please. Okay, okay. my question is, is uh, and it's kind of good that it came right after Mary Lou, was um, my my confusion sometimes in our home big book, big, big book uh, study is when we get to this chapter, a lot of people do start talking about, they go, oh, I have another program for this. and Or they talk more about how they were a child of an alcoholic. Or um, So my question is, how does a compulsive overeater in, in our 12-step group maybe talk about this chapter without... I don't know, maybe it's okay to get sidetracked, you know, if it's even sidetracked, but I, I get a little confused in, in some of these chapters because people start, they, they talk differently, more maybe more as the victim or more as the, it just sounds different. I hope that makes sense. And, and I'm new, so um, that's just my question. Thank you, Mary H. Anybody want to respond? This is Sharon. I Sharon, go not ahead. sure. I I know exactly what you're you're after, but I hear what I heard you say is that there's some confusion about where you put your focus when you're listening to this chapter. When we're, there's talk of of other programs, alcohol, alcoholism, uh, uh, some of the other, you know, uh, um, uh, programs like uh, mm-hmm. Al-Anon. Yes, oh. that's, that's okay. my question. Okay, and I, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is, you, you, of course, there's you always, uh, you know, probably going to have to have some sort of a filter on in the room because, People come from all different places. They work their programs so differently, and even just within OA, uh, and each one brings a different story. But, but to get why you're here and what your issue is, and if it's food, then you stick with that. And I would encourage you, you may also need Al-Anon. You may... Also, need I, I, you know, way back before I got my current recovery, I had to go to AA for a while because I would, when I would get asked in it, I would overdrink. And, um, but what my fellows told me as I pressed in with them and, 
and, you know, we talk about the herd and running with the pack and getting in there with people who have the same issues that you have but who have recovered, and you press into the middle of them, what they told me is, Sharon, you have too many problems to go pick up another program right now. We have been, they had gone to Al-Anon, and so they said, look, here's the people in our room that have done Al-Anon. Make all your hookups with them. And so they helped me without me having to pick up another program. And and I eventually, you know, uh, have gone to, have needed to do a lot of work outside of the room. But I did it in measure. Someone said, you know, they measure, weigh and measure everything in their lives. When you have a small kid and a husband and a kid with disabilities and you've got medical problems, it's, it's not reasonable to go pick up another program. So know your boundaries and, and really press in with your program and, and, if over, and, and do not pick up too many. I know one person picked up four programs and she never got her, her OA recovery. If you come here, get serious, work this program, and you'll be directed on what your next step is. Okay. I hope that was yes. helpful. Yes, thank you, thank okay. you, thank you. Thank you, Mary H., for that question. Again, encourage you to make calls for further support and to hear uh, further experience on that matter. And our final question today comes from Yudis. Go ahead, Yudis. Star one to unmute, Curtis, if you would like to ask a question. Hi, are you able to hear me? Yes, go ahead. Thanks so much. Each, um, as the years pass, each time I rework the steps, I come to a richer and a deeper place in my recovery. My question is about remaking amends to adult children, namely if I would be making those amends now instead of eight years ago, the amends would have looked much different. Do I remake the amends as opposed to just living in the living amends mode, and I, oh, I'm i asking it of any panelist who wants to answer. Thank you. I don't know if I'm heard. You are. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> panelists? This is Katie. Go ahead, Katie. Hi. Um, well, I would say that that is something that you should be directed with your sponsor to answer. You know, it, it would be hard to give a just a flat answer on that, not knowing the situation. But just with my own experience, um, if there's something new and specific that I have done, then I make amends for it. And But I also have had to go back and kind of remake the amends that I felt like I had never really said everything that needed to be said, and I've done it again. I, I guess my answer is, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> it doesn't hurt to um, make amends again because, of course, you wouldn't be making amends if you hadn't cleared it with a sponsor to make sure that you weren't just trying to make yourself feel better and in the process hurting them. So, you know, all those things really need to be worked out on a one-on-one basis with a sponsor. Um, there's no flat answer because um, each situation is unique. I'll pass. Thank you, KDF, and of course, thank you, Yudis, for the question. Thank you to all the panelists uh, this morning, Devora S., Charles H., Kathy K., KDF, Deb W., Sharon R.S., 
Janice M., we thank you. Hold on, uh, everybody. Contact information will be given. And we're going to close this morning from page 164 in the big book.